Thank you, Max. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to everyone who is online as well. It's a privilege to be preaching to you all this morning. We are going to be in Genesis 39, if you would like to go ahead and turn there. Genesis 39. Well, my prayer for this morning is that we answer the question, how can I grow in my love for God? How can I grow in my love for God? We are continuing our series on the story of Joseph, and we are in the part of his story where Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife. And the temptation is for us to read a passage like this and try to figure out how to resist the temptations in our lives with our own abilities or with our own strategies. And by temptations in our lives, I'm not talking about the smaller temptations in life, such as the temptation to eat an Oreo or five Oreos before dinner, or to watch one more episode of your favorite show before you go to bed, or even the temptation of sleeping in an extra hour instead of coming to church on a Sunday morning. I am talking about the temptations that lead us to sin against God and to walk away from his ways for us. And so my prayer this morning for us is that we not, it's not that we try to come up with a battle plan or a, a blueprint that we can just put into our lives in order to resist temptations. My prayer is that we strive to grow in our love for God. Because what we will see in this text is we do not resist temptations because of our own strategies or because of our own abilities. We resist our temptations because we love God above anything else. Well, let's read Genesis 39 again, and let's read the first 12 verses. It says this. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? And sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was in there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the main point of the message this morning is this. Christian, resisting temptation must be rooted in deep love for God above anything else. Christian, 
resisting temptation must be rooted in deep love for God above anything else. We'll begin by providing a few observations from these 12 verses, and then we will move into our personal application, and then we will answer the question, how do we grow in our love for God? Well, looking into this text, the first observation we see is God's presence in Joseph's life. God's presence in Joseph's life. If you all remember from Genesis 37, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers to a group of people known as the Ishmaelites. And so now as we see in Genesis 39, we see that Joseph has been brought down to Egypt and a man named Potiphar, who was a high-ranking officer of Pharaoh, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites and brought Joseph to his house as a slave. And as we read verses two through six, we see that even in a difficult, dark situation like this, we see that God is still with Joseph. And God's presence with Joseph is obviously seen. God had blessed Joseph's hard work, and God had caused everything that Joseph did to succeed. God's presence in Joseph's life was so evident that even Potiphar, an Egyptian who was not a follower or a believer of Yahweh, saw that God was with Joseph. And because Joseph found favor with Potiphar, Potiphar made Joseph the overseer of his house and over everything that he had possessed. And this is all because of what God had been doing in Joseph's life and work. So we see, yes, Joseph worked hard, but it was God who ultimately blessed Joseph's hard work. And this is a great story. As we see here, if we just stopped at verse 6, Joseph lived happily ever after. It all worked out for him. Praise God, this movie, this story has a great ending. Let's just go ahead and roll the credits now. But if you watch Marvel movies like me, you would know that you are supposed to wait until the credits are over for the post-credit scene. And when you read verse 7 in this passage, you realize that this story is indeed not over and that it is not so happily ever after, after all. We see that Potiphar's wife, noticing Joseph's handsome appearance, set her eyes on him and asked him to sleep with her. And this goes into our next observation, which is the pursuit of temptation. The pursuit of temptation. As we see in the text, Joseph didn't do anything to provoke Potiphar's wife. He didn't pursue or go after his temptations like his brother Judah did in Genesis 38. Joseph didn't hit on Potiphar's wife or post on Instagram a picture of him after a workout. He was just a good-looking guy minding his own business. And instead of looking for temptation and pursuing it, temptation pursued and went after him through Potiphar's wife, who as we see here has no regard for her marriage and no regard for God's ways. And many times we as sinful people, we may pursue our temptations, but because we live in a fallen world, the truth is sometimes temptations pursue us. But Joseph, though Potiphar's wife pursues him, Joseph doesn't give in. Joseph doesn't accept this pursuit. Instead, he refuses her offer and then provides the reasons as to why he is resisting, which then goes into our third observation, which is the reasons for resisting temptation. And we see in verses 8 and 9 that Joseph is not just a good-looking guy, he's also a smart guy. Look at the reasons as to why he shoots down Potiphar's wife. Reason number one, my master trusts me with his house and with his possessions. And the second reason is, my boss, my master, has given me everything that I could possibly need. Those are pretty good reasons to not give in to temptations. I have a really good boss who trusts me, and he's taken really, really good care of me. Very solid reasons. 
And if we think about that, when there are temptations that come our way, there are many solid, practical reasons for refusing them. It's not just for the sake of our jobs, and perhaps we may not have to resist temptation or we get put to death in this particular situation, but perhaps we have practical reasons for the sake of our friendships or for the sake of our families, for the sake of our spouses, for the sake of our kids. But in this text, what we also observe is that while Joseph provides practical reasons for refusing to sleep with Potiphar's wife, these reasons are not his foundation for refusing. His foundation is seen at the end of verse 9 and is our next observation, and that is the foundational love for God that resists temptation. After Joseph provides his reasons for refusing, he then provides the ultimate reason and the ultimate foundation for refusing Potiphar's wife. And he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is so interesting for a couple of reasons. The first reason, first of all, Joseph understands that yes, this would be a sin against his earthly master, but he understands even deeper that this would be a sin against his heavenly master. And then the second reason that this is interesting is that as we see God has shown his presence and his love for Joseph in his life, we see as a response, Joseph sees that love and thus responds to God in love and in obedience. He sees the love that God has for him, and as a response to God's love, Joseph devotes himself to God. And because Joseph loves God, that means he also hates what God says is wickedness and what God says is evil, that he refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife, not just because he doesn't want to get fired or just because he doesn't want to get put to death, but because he loves God. And this love for God has taken root in his soul, and it's what drives his life. It's what drives the decisions that he makes. But unfortunately, Potiphar's wife did not stop pursuing Joseph. Because what we see in our fifth observation of the text is the persistence of temptation. The persistence of temptation. Even after Joseph refuses her offer, verse 10 says that Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph day after day, offering him to lie beside her, but also offering to be with her, just to sit down. Potiphar's wife not only continues to pursue Joseph, what we also see in this text is she's being more subtle with her pursuits. She's being more subtle. She's not just asking Joseph at this point to sleep with her. She's asking him to lie beside her, or to just come and sit down and hang out with her. And what makes this temptation so dangerous is that temptation not only pursues, temptation persists. Temptation keeps coming, not just in obvious ways, but in subtle ways. It can be as obvious as an offer of, lie with me. Or it can be as subtle as, hey, how are you? Come sit down and let's just talk about your day. And as we see in verse 12, temptation can try to trap you. It can try to grab you and corner you as if you have no choice but to accept it. And the reality is when we think of our own lives, sin and temptation will stop at nothing for you to give into it. And you might say no to the first offer of temptation, but it's coming right back at you the next day. It's coming at you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. 
day after day, it says. And it will keep pursuing you, and you will have to keep resisting. And you must fight the obvious offers of temptation, but you also must fight the subtle offers of temptation. Which then brings us to our final observation of the text, and that is the wisdom of boundaries. The wisdom of boundaries. Joseph not only declined Potiphar's wife's obvious offers, he also put strategies and boundaries in place in order to prevent him from giving in to her subtle offers. He not only made the right big decisions that helped him resist, he also made the right small decisions that helped him resist. Because if we think of our own lives, it's not just the big decisions that lead us to sin and lead us to give in to temptations. It's the smaller ones that just constantly add up over a long period of time that lead you to be weaker and lead you to be more susceptible to temptation. It's the subtle decision of looking at someone attractive for a few seconds longer than you should, either seeing them run or seeing them work out. Or it's the subtle decision of keeping that movie or that show on through a particular scene. Or liking that picture of someone on social media that you don't know. Or the subtle decision of driving the longer way home just to pass the liquor store or the bar you used to go to. Or the decision of talking to yourself in the car about that person or about that particular situation that just makes you anxious and angry. Those small decisions add up and they make you gradually more susceptible to give into your temptations. One of my favorite Christian rappers, KB, put it like this in one of his songs. He says that every great fall is from a hundred bad decisions. Every great fall is from a hundred bad decisions. You don't just give in to a significant temptation just off of one decision. It is a multitude of small decisions that add up that then, then make you to lead and to give in to that significant temptation in your life. And Joseph here stuck to his devotion to God and he did it by being strategic. If she's in the same room, I'm moving to another room. I'm not even gonna look at her and if she talks to me, I'm not even going to listen to her. I'm not going to lie beside her. I'm not going to sit beside her. And I'm not even going to answer her questions. And so he kept resisting. And he made the right small decisions that, as we see at the end of this passage, it set him up to make the right big decision when it mattered most. When Potiphar's wife, in verse 12, catches him by the garment when it's just he and her in the house, catches him by his garment traps him and begs him to sleep with her. And Joseph, because he had been resisting this far, left his garment in her hand and ran. Not just subtly walked off, ran. And so that's how we see in this text that that's how Joseph resisted temptation. Reasons, foundational love for God, and boundaries. Now let's move to a couple of points of application. The first point is this. We must not hope in our reason or in our boundaries in order to resist temptation. We should never place all of our trust and all of our investment into our own reasons and our own strategies for resisting temptation. Because at the end of the day, when you read the Bible, when you consider what the Bible teaches about humanity's nature, we see that since the sin of Adam and Eve, human, humanity ever since has been cursed with a corrupt 
and sinful nature that naturally drifts from God and naturally lives to fulfill their own desires. Which means that we are not only naturally incapable of honoring God in our lives, we on our own are naturally incapable of loving God to begin with. We see this specifically in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And it talks about this natural state of humanity. The Apostle Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, listen to this last part, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. God's word does not just teach that we sin, it teaches that we're sinners. We not only commit sins against God's law and do things that are offensive to him, we do not love God and we do not seek to honor him to begin with. And so we might try and resist temptations with our own reasons and with our own strategies, but the problem is that our hearts desire those temptations more than they desire God, no matter the strategies that we put in place. I have a dog named Cooper. He's a golden doodle, he's about 80 pounds, so he's basically a horse, right? He's huge. And he's the best dog ever. And I have told people that once he goes, which is hopefully not anytime soon, when he goes, I will never get another dog. After Cooper, I'm done with dogs, right? But Cooper has a fatal flaw. He likes to dig holes right next to fences in the backyard. And so there would be afternoons and evenings where I would let him out in the backyard to do his business or to play with, his stepdad, with my stepdad's dog and just to get some energy out. And there would be afternoons or evenings where I would call Cooper to come inside from the backyard. And he wouldn't come in because he wasn't in the backyard anymore. He was in another backyard or he was on the other side of the fence that led to another neighborhood. And we had this problem, no joke, for close to two years we had no, me and my stepdad, we had no idea why he would do it, and we had no idea how to stop it. We had no idea how to fix it. I mean, we put barriers and cinder blocks in the holes. We gave him a shot collar. We tried to watch him as close as we possibly can. And through all of that, he would basically see it all as a challenge and be like, okay, we can work with that. And just would dig a hole <laughs> right next to the holes that he would dig, and then we would plug up. He would just keep getting out, and we had no idea what we would do to fix it. He would proceed to dig another hole and then just take off like a thief in the night. And now that thankfully I'm living somewhere else, and yes, while there are no fences, he's always on a leash whenever I take him out. So unless that rope breaks off, he's not going anywhere, right? Why do I say all of this? Because whatever temptation that Cooper was having that was on the other side of that fence, no matter the fence or the barrier that we put in place, if he wanted to get out, he would do everything he could to get out. And as Christians, though we have the Holy Spirit of God, we still wrestle, wrestle with a corrupt nature. That when we face temptations, the truth is, if we put down fences or barriers or stakes or whatever metaphor you want to use for boundaries, if we put those boundaries in place and simply think that those on their own are going to do the trick, we will be sadly mistaken and we will be incredibly discouraged. Because fences can still be dug under. Fences can still be hopped or climbed. 
if you want what is on the other side bad enough. Maybe you're struggling with the temptation of anger and you have done everything you can to be less angry on your own. You're listening to more peaceful music, you're practicing breathing techniques, you're exercising more, you're working less hours, and yet you still find yourself coming home and lashing out at your kids or lashing out at your spouse. Or maybe you're lashing out at your coworkers. And you selfishly think, you believe that lie of they don't understand what I do for them and then you just give in to your anger. Throwing stuff, yelling at them, and making your family and the people around you feel really, really unsafe. Maybe your temptation is with drunkenness. It constantly calls for you. And you say no to a drink one day, and the next day the temptation just keeps coming at you. You avoid driving by the liquor store. You avoid going to bars with your friends now. Maybe you've gone to rehab and thought that that would fix it on its own. And next thing you know, you're six drinks in in an hour, and you're completely out of control, and you're back where you began. Maybe you're tempted with greed. You try to budget. You try to put holds on your account. You say that you're going to tithe more. You try not to scam any of your clients just to make a few extra dollars. And time and time again, you walk by that purse that you've been really wanting. You walk by that car or you see that pair of shoes that you really want, and you give into that idea of, I deserve this. I deserve this. Maybe you are struggling with sexual temptation. Maybe you have been in a battle with pornography for years. And no matter how many passcodes you put on your phone, or how many websites you block on your computer, or how many numbers you delete, you still fall into the lie of, no one's going to know. And you find yourself giving into these desires and you are living in the shame of it. Either with someone on a screen or someone in real life who isn't your spouse and perhaps maybe it's someone you don't even know. And you don't know what else to do. You've put all the fences up that you can think of and you keep getting out. Brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches that we naturally want what is on the other side of the fence more than we want God. The temptations we face are temptations to us because we want them, and our hearts naturally want to pursue those temptations more than we want to pursue our Heavenly Father. And the ultimate way for true change and true lasting resistance is not a change of boundaries or a change of reasons. It is a change of your heart. This passage does not teach, look at Joseph's reason, look at Joseph's discipline, or his self-control, or his resolve. And the reason why it doesn't teach those things is because on his own, Joseph is like you and is like me. That on his own, he would be like his brother Judah from the previous chapter, where he gives into sexual temptation at the blink of an eye. Because we are not to hope and our own reason, or our own strategies, or our own abilities, if we are going to be godly and resist temptations. We are not able to naturally love God on our own and honor him. So then the question becomes, as a response to that, what do we do? What do we do? And that goes into our next application, and that is we must, above all, grow in our love for God and bring our hearts closer to him. Joseph did not resist Potiphar's wife because he was a naturally great guy. 
And while he did put up wise fences and while he did put up boundaries, his hope and his perseverance was not rooted in those things. Joseph's foundation for resisting temptation was a deep love for God and a deep love for his ways to where he says to Potiphar's wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice how he didn't say no out of a religious obligation. He didn't say, I'm a follower of Yahweh. This this just goes against my beliefs. He didn't say, thank you for your offer, but I really shouldn't. This would be like the high school student who is hanging out with the wrong crowd and then their friends ask them to go do something they probably shouldn't. And their reasons may be along the lines of, I want to, but my parents said I shouldn't stay out late. You know, parents, you guys, you guys didn't do any of this in high school, right? You guys were perfect and didn't give in to any of those offers hanging out with the wrong crowd, right? Or maybe it's the answer or the reason of, I'm not allowed to, my parents said I shouldn't. And by the way, high schoolers, those are good reasons to say no. Listen and trust your parents, okay? But think of those reasons and think about that lack of conviction. How fragile can that be? How much can our reasons be swayed if we are trying to go by a set of rules or obligations that we think we have? Just as high schoolers saying no to the wrong crowd should be out of love and trust in their parents, Joseph's resistance to temptation was rooted in his love for God. I love my father. How could I possibly go against him? Brothers and sisters, if we are going to resist temptations in our lives and live for God's glory, we must love God above all. And we must grow in our love for God. And so now we will answer the question, how can we grow in love for God? How can we grow in love for God? Well, as Christ followers, we must certainly draw near to God in prayer and letting him speak to us and work in our hearts through his word. And as we do this, growing in love for God looks like, first of all, understanding your sin. Understanding your sin. This doesn't mean we count up all the bad things that we have done in our lives, put it on paper, and just sulk about those things that we've done. It doesn't mean to live in a place of guilt and of shame and you just feel bad about yourself all the time. It's coming to grips with the reality of your sinful heart and of your sinful nature. It's coming to grips knowing that on your own, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's coming to grips with the biblical truth that you are unable to naturally love God for who he is. As Ephesians 2 says, you're dead in your trespasses. And this is the first step in growing in love for God. Because if we do not understand how wretched and how undeserving of his love we really are, then we will not fully understand how great God's love for us really is. If we don't understand how wretched and undeserving of his love we really are, if we don't understand how sinful and rebellious we are, we will not understand how great God's love for us and how deep God's love for us really goes. We have to see who we are and we have to understand our sins for what they are. Which then goes into the next step. After we see our sin for what it is, we then see God's love for us displayed in the gift of his son. We see God's love for us displayed in the gift of his son. 1 John 4.10 puts it like this. And this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When we see our sin and the hopelessness that we are in, this is when we look at Jesus Christ and see that though we were undeserving of forgiveness and though we did not deserve God's love, God still loved us and gave us his son. When we understand that it was supposed to be us on the cross of Jesus Christ instead of him, that is when we begin to understand how deep God's love for us really goes. While Joseph did not see Christ in his earthly life, he certainly saw God's presence and God's love in his life. And he saw God's love for him through the mercy and the blessings that he was given. And because he saw God's love for him, he responded. Which then goes into our next step. We respond to God's love for us in love. We respond to God's love for us in love. Joseph saw God's love and when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife to sin against God, he responded, how could I ever go against God my father? He responded to God's love with love. And we are called to do the same. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he, God, first loved us. So I want us to think about this this morning as we are pondering this. And we, we may think, oh, how can I grow in God's love? Understand that loving God is not dependent on your natural ability to love because we would be hopeless in that. Loving God is looking at Jesus on the cross, seeing his love for you, and letting his love for you drive your love for him. It's seeing God's love for you and letting his love for you and the response to that be in love. Seeing his love for you and letting his love for you drive your love for him. Any love you have for God is simply a response to God's gracious and amazing love for you. So basically, as we see here, it was not ultimately Joseph's natural love for God that led him to flee from sin. It was God's love for Joseph that kept Joseph. And Joseph simply responded to God's love in love. And the fourth and final point is, we prayerfully ask for wisdom and put up fences when needed. Joseph had strategies and boundaries. And the only reason why he was faithful within those boundaries was because of God's love for him and his response to God's love. And so as we grow in the love of God, and as we understand how deep his love for us really goes, let us grow in loving him more, and then ask him to provide the wisdom and the strategies to resist our temptations. And so in response to God's love for you this morning, perhaps phones and computers need to be given up. Perhaps laptops need to be smashed this morning. Bottles need to be thrown in the trash. Or perhaps biblical counseling is something that needs to be pursued. And West Park has a fantastic biblical counseling ministry. Students, perhaps having a conversation with your parents needs to happen. Seeking help with your sinful struggles and desires as you strive to love God. And parents, I speak for myself and I speak for Audra as the other director of students. We want to partner with you in helping you with your students walk with God. Even if they don't come on Wednesday night services or Sunday morning groups, we don't care. We, as directors of students, we, you have been called as the primary disciplers, and we, as the church, want to further equip you to disciple your kids well. We want to partner with you and walk with you in this. 
We want to partner with you in helping them grow in the love of God and to help them resist temptations well in response to that. And so I call all of us in this room, let us see God's love for us. Let us respond to God's love in love for him. And let us prayerfully, wisely fight our temptations, not with our strategies, but above all, with his love for us. I close with this. Perhaps there are some in here this morning who are on the brink of giving in to a temptation that if they stopped resisting can be devastating to themselves, to their careers, to their marriages, to their kids, and most importantly, to their souls. Maybe it's a relationship that you're considering pursuing. Maybe it's a trip to the bar. Maybe it's a business practice that is wrong and deceptive. It's not something that you're called to do. And it has eternal consequences. I urge you this morning, I urge you this morning to consider the love of God. To consider the love of God. To consider Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins so that you may have freedom and eternal life in him. Free from sin. And I ask you to consider the love of God and I ask you to come to Jesus because it's in him where you will be truly satisfied. And it is with him where your life truly belongs. Notice at the end of this chapter, notice how Joseph still lost everything on this earth. He was sold into slavery in chapter 37, but what we also see at the end of this chapter, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to sleep with her. Potiphar believed her, and Joseph ended up getting thrown into prison and ended up losing everything that he had. What we see at the end of this chapter is, while Joseph lost everything, he still had God. Verse 21 says that God was still with him, showing steadfast love to him in prison. You may lose something that is dear to your sinful heart if you walk away from your temptations. But I urge you to walk away from your temptations so that you may get God. You may think that the grass is not greener on the other side of resisting temptation. And that you living in the sin is like green pasture. But I pray that by the grace of God, you may understand that you are actually living in a desert, you are hallucinating, you are dying, and you need the living water. And the only way for you to leave this wasteland of sin is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the deliverance from this old and sinful heart. And it doesn't mean you don't ever struggle with temptations anymore. It just means that you realize that God is better than the desert you were living in. And as you see God's love for you on display at the cross, you respond in love for him and you delight in his ways more than your own. I invite you, come to Jesus. See God's love for you and turn away from your sins as a response. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for your deep, deep love for us. 
And that love consists in this, not that we loved you first, but that you loved us and that you gave your son Jesus on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for this grace that you have given. And Lord, I pray for everyone here in this room that first of all, they may grow in their love for you. That they see you as the perfect, wonderful, heavenly father that you are. And that as they see your love for what it is, that they may respond to you in love and in devotion to you. And I pray for all of us in this room, anyone who is struggling with any temptations, God, I pray that they no longer hope in their own strategies or their own abilities, but for them to come to grips knowing that they cannot resist temptation on their own. They can't walk with you and honor you on their own. But Lord, you offer to hold them and to keep them. You hold your children fast. And Lord, I pray for all of us in here that instead of us relying on our own abilities, that we may simply consider your love for us and that we may draw near to you and close with you and let that be as a response, us resisting our old ways and walking in the ways that you have called us to. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.